the cross I find the beauty of your matchless grace And at the cross I see a king who died to take my place It's the moment that you've made me clean and pardon my soul Amazing grace that I would be allowed unto your throne And not by my own will, but solely by your will alone. And I'm unworthy of this love you've shown to me. I see my desperate need. The beauty of the cross is that there's one who has redeemed my soul. beauty of the cross is that I'm finally free and letting go. beauty of the cross is that your grace has found me just as I am. Not by my own works that I may boast or I may come. Simply through your Son, the sinless and exalted One And only through the cross am I made clean to draw near to you Save so that you would receive all glory to your name And everlasting God from age to age you never change True love story remains for all eternity. That all the world would see the beauty of the cross is that there's one who has redeemed my soul. Beauty of the cross is that I'm finally free and letting go. Beauty of the cross is that your grace has found me just as I am. Sinful soul could only be redeemed by the blood of a sinless king. So you came to the world that you had made, conquered sin on the cross, and you rose from the grave. The beauty of the cross is that there's one who has redeemed soul. Beauty of the cross is that I'm finally free and letting go. Beauty of the cross is that your grace has found me just as I am. The beauty of the cross is that there's one who has redeemed my soul. Beauty of the cross is that I'm finally free and letting go. Beauty of the Crosses that your grace has found me just as I am. Hallelujah. And if the beauty of the cross has affected your life today, just say hallelujah this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. I pray if you're here this morning and you don't know the beauty of the cross, what transpired that fateful day so many years ago, that before you leave here today, not only will you know of it, but you'll know Him personally that hung upon it. Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that's what made it beautiful, guys. Without that, that the shedding of blood, the Bible says it's pointed. Excuse me. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and 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 that is an absolute truth. The wages of sin is death. 
But praise God, through the eternal gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have salvation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, today's the day. I pray you get that right. Anyway, guys, it's good seeing everybody this morning. We've had a great Sunday school class. It's, uh, everybody seems to be a little, I don't know if it's humidity in the air or what. We're all kind of like this, eh? But praise the Lord, we're in God's house and we're going to get excited for the Lord today. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father God, I just thank You this morning for who and what You are. And I just praise Your name that, that we can gather together as brothers and sisters in Your house, as friends, as family. Uh, we, we've shared breakfast together. We've had already opened the Word together. And now we're going to worship you together and just hear you speak to each one of our hearts, Father. May you just, may each one of us open our hearts and allow you to pour out your anointing upon us, Lord God. May you be able to sit back in heaven and look down and say, those are my children down there in Sutherland Springs worshiping me. Father, may your will be done. May your name be glorified. And may you be lifted up on high in all that we say and do this day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Like I say, it's good seeing everybody this morning. I, I got new glasses, so the, those on the front are actually more clear than you used to be. <laughs> it, I'm getting, I'm having to get used to this. It, it, I guess I'm getting old. These got three different prescriptions in them. I'm, I keep catching myself trying to, okay, where do I see them the best right now? So I'm still getting used to that and getting a little seasick every once in a while. So if you see me get wobbly, just pray for me. Amen. Hallelujah. It's good seeing everybody this morning. Walk around, shake somebody's hand, and tell them you're glad to see them in God's house this morning. Amen. Nothing can
<laughs> he's picking James. You got to be nice to the elderly. <laughs> okay, just a few announcements this morning. The first and one of the most important ones, I suppose, I guess they're all important. However, this one should have been the bulletin. We missed it. Uh, sunrise service next week. Next week is Easter, guys. I don't know if you realize it has snuck up upon you, but next week is Easter, and we are going to be celebrating uh, Easter with our sunrise service at 7 a.m. So I hope to see you. I know last year we did it. We tried something different. Last year we, we bumped it up till 8 o'clock to try to cut down on the time in between services to get people to stay uh, longer. Well, that didn't really work that well, so we took it back to actual sunrise time at 7 o'clock. So 7 o'clock this Sunday, will coming Sunday will be our sunrise service, followed by our pancake breakfast, and, and then we're going to have... Uh, Sunday school will be at 9.15, uh, excuse me, 9.45 like normal, and then we'll have our 11 o'clock service, and after the 11 o'clock service is over, then we'll have the resurrection eggs uh, for the kids, right, Julie? Oh, in between, I'm sorry, after breakfast then? So, any specific? Sometime after breakfast. Okay, sorry, I got my timing off there. The resurrection eggs is after breakfast, before Sunday school, or after Sunday? Between breakfast and Sunday school, we'll have a, the, egg, the resurrection, resurrection eggs for the children. But we'll have a full morning. Now, no Sunday evening service next week, that we, unless the Lord changes that between now and then. But uh, 7 o'clock will be the sunrise service. Then we'll have our pancake breakfast. And then 9.45 we'll have our Sunday school. And then 11 o'clock we'll have our regular worship service. And next Sunday we'll be... Uh, I've already talked to, to the elders, and we're going to be doing the, during the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, too, to, in, to celebrate uh, the, the Passover, to celebrate the, the, the Easter service. You know, we all, we make such a huge deal for months over Christmas, but Christmas wouldn't have be anything if it wasn't for Easter. Amen? Easter's the day He arose. So come with us and celebrate that next Sunday morning. All that being said, uh, after the service this morning, we're going to have a vacation Bible school meeting. I'm supposing that's down front here, Carla? Or Annie? Okay. So vacation Bible school, if you've uh, volunteered or you'd like to volunteer, or you're still interested or curious, or you or you got questions, that'll be after the morning service this morning. May 6th, if you want to start writing that on your calendar, I'm putting it out there now because of the the importance of, of Workday. We are going to be present, putting together, as I've set, shared the last couple weeks and months, that is going to be our big springtime Workday. I'd like to get everybody here that we can. We're going to pressure wash the church and the building, uh, the whole church, and get it ready for someone to come in and paint the church outside and paint the, all the church. Now, we've also been blessed that there is a missionary group that is going to be traveling through. They're traveling through and they, they do projects. They work on people's houses. Maybe they need a ramp built or, or things of this nature. Our windowsills, I don't know if you noticed, if you go outside and look at our windowsills, these windowsills were put in in the 40s and they show that they were put in in the 40s. Some of them are, have rotted pretty badly. This missionary group said that this is definitely within their, their expertise and they're going to come through and they're going to replace all those windowsills and everything outside and get all that done at the end of May as well. So we're going to have our church painted and redone and everything's going to look good. But we need to get prepared for that. 
That's May 6th. So please, if you'll come out and help us pressure wash, clean up. In here, we need the English oil. It's that time of year to do the oil in the pews and the fans. and It's just our spring work day. So May 6th, if you can write that on your calendar. Also that day, the youth are going to be putting together a garage sale to help uh, fund their summer camp. If you've got things you want to donate towards the garage sale, and, and when I say that, I don't mean things that you want to go take to the dumpster. But if there's things that you really think would help the youth with their garage sale, get with Corey so we can get those picked up. And May 6th, they'll be doing the garage sale. Same time, we're having a work day as well. So maybe folks at the garage sale might come work. Who knows? You know, At least they'll see we're working on the church as well. So that's May 6th. Um, the only other thing I was going to mention uh, is tonight, we're going to have services here this evening. We're, we're our tip, standard services are in Joel chapter 3. At 6 o'clock, however, at the River of Life Church on 1604, if you're interested, Team Impact is down there. They'll have dinner at 6, and the presentation is at 7. We went to that a couple years ago. Uh, that's where the guys like bend steel bars and tear phone books and things of that nature. So if you're interested, that's going to be at the River of Life Church tonight. 6 o'clock is dinner, 7 o'clock is the presentation. Um, and it seems like there was one more thing I was going to say to that. Oh, I remember. And we will be finishing Joel fairly quickly. Uh, so I am anticipating and figuring that the first part of May, you remember a few months ago I had said that we were going to start our, uh, it's been several years, actually almost 10 years, since we went through the book of Revelation. And a lot of folks have been talking about it, we prayed about it, and we should be starting that in May. So if you are planning on starting to come out, those are Sunday evening studies. Uh, we are going to be kicking that off probably the first weekend of May. I had people asking me when that was going to come to be. All right, I think that's enough announcements this morning. I'm going to ask Brian to come up. John is in South Padre with his beautiful bride celebrating their anniversary. So Brian is going to come and take his place this morning. Well, you can't take his place, but you'll come. Oh, there you go. John's going to come and be John. Oh, you are John Holcomb. So this is your day, brother. Father God, I thank you for my brother and just ask in the name of Jesus that you'll bless his reading of your word this morning and may we not hear him, but hear you through him. Thank you for his willingness to come and share. And, and God, we do lift up his son and son, daughter-in-law, Lord God, as they are uh, down on the coast, Father. Just keep them safe. Let them have a fun time, a good time, and bring them back to us safely, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank, thank you, brother. brother. Amen. Okay. Um, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do today. I wanted to talk about the great I am a little bit as we approach this Easter season. Um, I, the word I am is mentioned a lot in the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, um, Moses didn't know, uh, If I, I hope I get this right, Moses didn't uh, know exactly how to address him to the people of Israel. Who, who do I say sent me? God said, uh, tell them that I am sent you. Um, when that was, that, of course, that would have probably been in Hebrew, but when it was translated into the Septuagint, uh, I am was the same word I am used all through the New Testament. Uh, ego, do you know it? The Greek, ego, I me, ego, I me, I am. Uh, that was in the Septuagint. And that, they had that 100 years. The Septuagint was put together. The Septuagint, uh, for anyone who doesn't really know, 
was uh, the Old Testament was written in in Hebrew um, mostly. Uh, it was translated into Greek because more people were speaking Greek, so it was translated into Greek, and that was finished about a hundred years before Jesus was here. So a lot of the things that Jesus quoted, the scripture that he quoted, was quoted verbatim out of the Septuagint. So uh, I am in the Septuagint. Then later on in the New Testament in John, uh, Jesus uh, uh, was uh, being questioned. He was questioned by the Jews a lot. He was being questioned um, about... He, he spoke about Abraham as if he knew him, as he was really familiar, and it puzzled him. And they couldn't really wrap their mind around it. And they said, well, you speak as though you knew him personally. And Jesus said, I assure you, before Abraham, I am. He used the words, I am. But, uh, that's kind of hard for us to wrap our brain around too, isn't it? Because we're restricted by time. And without getting too philosophical about it, which I'm not capable of, um, it's just hard to understand uh, the whole thing, you know, about the omnipresence of Jesus being before Abraham at that instant, being at the beginning, at the Alpha and the Omega, at the beginning and the end. Well, that takes me something to closer to Easter time here. Um, and this was during Jesus' interrogations before the cross. Uh, and I'm in Mark uh, 14, starting in verse uh, 57. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, uh, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. They kind of twisted up what he actually said there, didn't they? <laughs> uh, he said this temple will be destroyed and in three days it'll be back. Uh, he didn't mention the whole hands thing there. Not, uh, not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. Um, Mark called it out as being inconsistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus saying, do you not answer? Jesus knew when to not answer something, knew when to keep his mouth shut. Um, what is this that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent. Jesus kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. I love it that he used those words, that he chose those words. He meant, I am the Christ, but the very fact that he used the words, I am, as the great I am, or before Abraham, I am, he used those words again. Had to get them thinking. They probably remembered those other two instances, but I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. Well, to him it was blasphemy. To me it's the truth. And it's a wonderful thing. And I'm so thankful that this Easter season, or any Easter season, or any time, we don't have to get frustrated if we know the truth. 
and tear our clothes and and uh, um, we can glorify God and rejoice in the fact that the great I am loves us and the great I am cares for us and that see if I can get it back here and that the great I am well you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven for us, coming for us. So we have that to look forward to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for the the promises that you give us, God, and the, the future that you give us, Lord, uh, that we look forward to. You're coming in the clouds and to receive us. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for the love. Thank you for letting us come together in your house, God, and worship you. And I pray that that worship today will be pure, that it will glorify you, God, um, and that it will give us peace and that it will fill us with your love, God. Um, every person here, Lord, uh, and we do all thank you. We do all love you. And we pray, Lord, that you uh, guide every word that Brother Frank brings to us, every word that we sing. Um, Lord, just guide them all, guide all of our conversations so that you will be glorified today, Father. Forgive us when we do fall short, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hi. <laughs> All right. Time for music. So a lot of times uh, the holidays and Easter and stuff like that will sneak up on you really quickly. Uh, I'm sure for some of you realizing that this is the week before Easter, you're like, oh, gosh, it's Easter already. We're already in April. Did I even do my taxes? Oh, anyway, uh, I have been thinking about Easter for a couple months now. Because we've been getting our property ready for uh, having a large number of people over. So I've had the uh, the nice, uh, I guess, ability to think about Easter for a long time. Um, so it's kind of prepared me. So I've been, I've been thinking about this for a while. Uh, these songs that we're going to sing this morning are, are all kind of Easter themes. So I hope starting now and throughout the rest of this week... You will also be thinking about Easter, maybe thinking about these songs as we sing them to get ready for next week. We're going to start with uh, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love
Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed His precious blood. to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be let that grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee prone to wonder Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Dreams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts to say and everyone needs compassion a love that's never failing let mercy fall on me everyone needs forgiveness the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nation. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, 
He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Why surrender? Savior, He can move the mountain. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shining light, let the whole world see. Singing for the glory. Of the risen King, Jesus, shine your light head, let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King, Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. He's our Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a unclean no one else could in my place condemned he stood now his nearness is my good hallelujah what a savior 
rescued me. What's his cry now in heaven? Lifted high, hallelujah. What a savior when he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song will sing Hallelujah, what a Savior Hallelujah, what a Savior Hallelujah, praise to God, the glory this morning. Father God, I just pray as we go into this time of worship again, Lord, thank you for these songs that we've worshiped you with. May you speak to our hearts now through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Chris. Praise God. I am somewhat um, offended, Chris. The grandson is saying more and more than you, but I get up, I haven't heard nothing. <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah, somebody's riding in the trunk on the way home. (laughs) Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We've started a Sunday school lesson talking about tactics, how to, to open conversations, how to share our faith and things of this nature. One of the reasons I have done so was... One, so that we can be more equipped on how to, to further the kingdom of God, how to share our, our gospel, the gospel with others. But it will also strengthen us in our own understanding, in our own thought patterns as to why we believe what we believe. And why do I say that? Because it is so easy sometimes for Satan to come in and twist the word just a little bit. For Satan to come in and change things to move his doctrine rather than God's doctrine. And oftentimes, we become the vehicle that he uses to move his doctrine. And you would say, oh, Brother Frank, I'm a Christian. Satan could never use me in such a fashion. 
when we allow ourselves to be tricked, manipulated, I'm not saying that he'll move into you and possess you. I'm saying that if he can, in a slick way, mold things to where all of a sudden you've rationalized some ideas and things of that nature, before you know it, you're, you're being a proponent of his ideology rather than God's, following his doctrines rather than God's. And you may say, well, pastor, I would never do that. I'm sure that Adam and Eve kind of thought that at one point as well. And I want us to look at some doctrinal things this morning, Satan's doctrine, if you will. But we're going to look at the story first in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1 here. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat that, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Then the woman saw that the trees was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I had commanded you not to eat from? Then the man replied, that woman that you gave me be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, it was that serpent. He deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock. And more than any wild animal, you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will dominate you. And he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree from which I commanded you, do not eat from. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And we can stop here. But primarily, what I wanted us to think about this morning was what actually transpired there in that garden. Did you know that from the very beginning of Genesis, throughout the whole book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the the entire thing there, The Bible speaks of two religions, two religions to you and I in the world. Now, I understand there's there's Muslims, there's Hindus, there's Jehovah's Witnesses, there's Mormons, Jews, Buddhists, Christians, and many others. I understand there's many of these named religions, but they all actually fall into one of two categories, guys. There's God's way and there's man's way. That's all there is. There is God's way, God's word, God's direction. And there's man's way. And I think it's interesting to note just for a moment that that these are not only different, 
They are polar opposites. They are exact opposites of one another. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and you probably know this scripture by hand, but you can write it down as well. It says, for by grace, for by grace you are saved through faith, so that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is by grace that we have been saved, so that we don't boast about it, so that we don't try to take, take, a, take account for it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, when Peter's talking to the, to the Jewish diaspora there, and he's reaching out to them, he says, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your, your, your aimless conduct that you received by tradition from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The true faith in, in, in the true word of God, the true religion, is not based upon man. It is based upon Christ. It is based upon the blood of Christ. That's why in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now, I'm pointing these passages of Scripture out for this reason. The only true religion that we should be following is of Christ, every other religion out there, everyone, whether you want to say Muslim, Buddhist, whatever, every other religion out there has a, a I have to live a good life. I, I, I have to be a moral person. I need to go to church. I have to do this or I have to do that. In other words, every other religion, I have to earn my own way into heaven. And that's man's idea. I have to earn my way into heaven. God said the only way in is through the blood of Jesus Christ. All those things are good things. Don't get me wrong. We ought to, to live in such a fashion that pleases our heavenly Father in heaven. We should do that. But folks, it is grace that saves us, not works. It is the mercy of a loving God who chose to go down into the, the depths of hell, defeat death, hell, and the grave, and as we will be celebrating next week, rise again conqueror and victor over it all. The true faith of Jesus Christ is based on God. Every non-Christian religion is based on, on, on one major doctrine, and that is salvation by works. You have to do this. You have to do that. You must do this. You must do that. The religions of the world today, guys, are, are trying to put themselves in a position of equality with God. They're trying to make themselves equal with the, with the Heavenly Father. That's exactly what Satan attempted to do in the fall. He thought, you know, I can, I can do whatever God can do and maybe more so. When it didn't work for him, he went to Eve. And that's what he got Eve to think in this passage of Scripture. Oh, you know, you can equate yourself with God here. Did God really say that? Did, did God really say you would die? Hmm. Satan has been pushing his doctrines, guys. He's been pushing his ideology from that moment in the garden till today. And we need to be watching for that. And I believe that if we look at this story in Genesis chapter 3 right there, and then look back at society around us today, Satan is still preaching the same things. He's still preaching the same ideas to, to deceive mankind and we're still falling for the same tricks. Even though he had the story written right there. One of the things that he is teaching today, that is continually being presented out there, is that truth is relative. 
It, 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 you can create your own reality. You can transform your own consciousness. That's being promoted out there. This doctrine is becoming more and more prevalent in our society today, especially in our children, in, in schools, especially college students. Oh, reality is what you want it to be. Reality is what, what you think it to be. It's being portrayed in, in Hollywood. It's being accepted by men and women all around the world from all different kinds of backgrounds, from all different kinds of, of idea standpoints. That, that it's all what you want it to be. That there is no real truth. That truth is all relevant. It's all a matter of where you're coming from as to what's true and what's not. This belief says that whatever is true for you may not be true for me, but if it's true for you, then it's your truth. What may be true in the United States isn't true in other parts of the world. Or, or, or whatever is true 50 years ago may not be true today. Truth's relative. Truth changes. Folks, if the world's going to keep teaching, if the world's going to say that, that nothing is true, that nothing is knowable, then I would submit to you this morning that nothing matters. Satan went to Eve and said, is that really true? What do you think? Let's do a little deductive reasoning here. Folks, if nothing is true, then there's no such thing as good and evil. If there is no real truth, then all is good. Whether it be murder, whether it be rape, whether it be abuse, I may not like it, but if it's truth for you, hey, go for it. There is no authority if there is no real truth. But God says otherwise. In this passage of Scripture here, Satan begins the attack on Eve by raising that question and setting doubt at her feet. The very first thing is he's got her doubting truth. God spoke to them and said, This tree do not eat, do not touch it even, or excuse me, do not eat of this tree, or you'll, be, you'll, be no, you'll know the difference, that you'll shall surely die, that you'll have this, this ideology within you. And Satan says, is that what he really said? Maybe he said, just don't touch it. Maybe he said, uh, that, that you, you know, surely you're not going to die. And he lays this doubt out there. Even though the truth had been given to her, he says, there's a whole lot of trees out there. And, and look, yeah, there's one of them, but, and it's in the garden. That, and, and God said you could eat of the trees. Are you sure that he really meant that you couldn't eat of that one tree right there? And he puts that deductive reasoning in there. He puts that, that rationalizing in there. He makes her start doubting truth. And folks, let me share with you this morning. If you try hard enough, if you will stop and really think about it, you can almost always reason away your sin. You can almost always rationalize why it's okay. If you try hard enough and cherry pick it just well, you can twist God's word into making it say what you want it to say. Well, it's, it's not the way God really meant it here. You see, the devil says the truth is relative, and if we fall into that, it's just a matter of interpretation. That's what church people like to say. Well, you know, it's just how you interpret this or you, how you interpret that. God's word is God's word, and let God interpret it. That was our lesson Thursday night that I was able to teach. There, it was a, a passage of Scripture where we, we broke it down what's called exegesis, really, what was the writer saying? Without any presupposed ideas, without any assumptions, what was written there? Why do we do that in Scripture? Because we should care about what God says, not what my presuppositions are. 
I should care about what does God tell me to do? Not what I want to do. What does God say do? Not what the church doctrine or the world doctrine or the political doctrine. What does God say? God says that His Word is truth. And when He says it's truth, He's not saying it's up for any person's come along interpretation. The one who interprets this is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, and it's His interpretation that matters. It is through prayer and study not people putting it together and to fit their agendas. Truth is real. And when we start thinking that truth is relative, that truth changes over time. Oh, well, we should change the Bible up. You know, it was written several centuries ago, and, you know, we, we really should just really update and modernize. The word here is just as true today as it was true then. Sure, and we may replace chariot with Chevrolet, but it's still just as pertinent. Truth is truth. But we so often hear what we want to hear. There are parts of the Scripture, well, you know, I don't really like that part of the Scripture, so I'm just going to ignore it. We like to hear when the Bible speaks about peace and purpose and and joy and heaven and eternal life and, and God's grace and forgiveness of sin. We like hearing about all that kinds of stuff. But when he starts talking about judgment, oh, I... Well, I, I don't want to hear about judgment. Our sin is going to be judged. Well, well, I don't like what you're saying there, Pastor. I don't think my God would ever judge this or judge that. He loves me. I, I, I love my children too, but ask them if they ever were judged. Yes, God is going to speak of judgment. He speaks of death. He speaks of self-sacrifice. He speaks of repentance. He speaks of hell. He speaks of tithing. There's one nobody likes to hear. These words go out there and we don't like to hear them, so we pretend that they're not there. Truth is is not whether we like it or not. Truth is truth. Whether we believe it or not, whether we, we accept it or not, does not change the fact that God's Word is truth. What we like, what we believe, what we accept, does not alter truth. No matter how bad Eve wanted to eat of that tree, she should not have fell for this idea that God's word wasn't really true. That's where she made her mistake. People say her mistake was eating of the fruit of the tree. The mistake was made prior to that when she started doubting God. That eating of the fruit was a consequence of her doubting God. Truth is absolute, folks. And we ought to to accept that. Truth is the Word of God. It's absolute. He is absolute. Whether we like it or not, does it change the fact that He's absolute? And it is His Word that is going to give us salvation. What we believe to be true, that may be relative, but the truth is absolute. Amen? Don't forget that, guys. The truth is absolute. Also, another doctrine that, that Satan likes to promote out there is that there is no death. Verses 2 and 4, Satan says, you will not surely die. One of the greatest doctrines of a lot of the Middle Eastern religions, and and most of the the foreign religions, uh, and the New Age movement that kind of coalesced over here in the United States, is that of reincarnation. Oh, you you don't really die. You know, even if you die, you're going to come back again, possibly in a better life or a worse life, depending on how you live this life. But, you know, this body just keeps coming back. 
You just keep on coming back on this earth. It's just a, a, a cyclic thing. You just keep going and coming back, going and coming back. But the point is, you never really die. You just keep on living and living and living over and over and over. Hebrews 9.27 is appointed on the man who wants to die and after this to face the judgment. Did you get that, guys? It's appointed on man wants to die and then to face the judgment. We are going to die. Satan said, oh, you're not going to die. But what Satan didn't tell them was he was talking about a spirit. God was talking about a spiritual death. Satan said, oh, eat of that fruit. You're not going to fall over dead. But what he didn't tell her was what God really meant was you'll spiritually die. See, he didn't share the whole truth there. He just said, oh, you won't die. Guess what, folks? Every single one of us has been spiritually dead. Every single one of us, because of the the wages of sin and our temptation to sin, we have died. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. We have been spiritually dead, and it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be alive again. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is not this physical body coming alive again, it's that spiritual glorified body. This physical body, guys, as awesome as this one is before you right now, is going to die one day. Nobody caught the joke. Oh, well, that's okay. It wasn't funny. Oh, that makes it truth. Ah, anyway. <laughs> you just opened yourself today, Gunny. Guys, this body is going to die. These physical bodies that we have, unless the Lord returns first, they're going to die. There is no way around it. It's appointed man to die and then to face the judgment. The thing with Christ is, it's that spiritual body, that glorified body. Everyone's going to die and face the judgment. The question is, are they spiritually ready for that? That's what Satan didn't share. He said, "Oh, you will not surely die." These doctrines today, these other faiths, the others, these other religions. Oh, there is no hell. There is no death. All that stuff's just made up by Christians to to scare you, folks. Every one of these bodies is going to die. We don't know how. Maybe we don't know when. But every one of us is going to die. In fact, there's, uh, last time I looked, 5,417 people die an hour. That's a lot of deaths. (coughs) Death is going to happen. The question is, are we spiritually ready? Or are we playing with the idea of truth? My, My hour is going to come at some point. The important thing is, have I accepted Jesus Christ? Have I, have I been spiritually prepared? And I may also be thinking, have I spiritually prepared others? Have I shared Christ with them? Have I let them know that Christ loves them? So we have the doctrine that, that truth, is, is rash, it, it, truth is relative. We also have the ideology that, that, you know, people, you never really die. The next one I would throw out there is that you can become your own God. In verse 5, the, the more knowledge you have, the more you'll be like God. That's what Satan was telling her. What God didn't tell you was, You'll gain knowledge. And with knowledge, you'll equate yourself with God. And, you know, God just didn't want you doing that. Twisting the word around. But how many times do we try to do that? We, we equate ourselves. How deceptive Satan was. Eve, Eve was created in the image of God. But she was about to, to mar that image by giving in to the idea, the lies of the devil. She was thinking, I, I, I can be equal with God. 
Folks, that's the root of sin oftentimes. The desire to be equal with God. Our pride. Well, I know as much as God does. Or, you know, I've been praying and, and God's really not answering the way that, that I want Him to answer. So I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to do things the way I think it needs to be. Folks, when we start taking it into our own hands, you know what we've fallen into? Equating ourselves with God. We don't trust Him. Well, you know, God's taking too long, so I'm going to go ahead and step out here and do this. Well, you know, God didn't really say I could do this, but I didn't actually physically hear a burning bush tell me I couldn't either. So I'm going to do this, even though the conviction in our heart says stop. You know, Mormons say that a, a man is God once, and God is a man will be. Or the New Age movement, everything is God and God is everything. That everything has God in it. That we, we can be equate ourselves with God. We are little gods. We're not. Like Brian shared just a while ago, he said that, that God said, tell him, I am. Before there was Abraham, I am. It's our pride that gets us in so much trouble when we try to equate ourselves with God. Isn't it strange that salvation came not from a prideful individual, but Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, he was, he was humility. He humbled himself. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he, he looks out to the people, in, or in, in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, he says that your attitude should be the same as Christ. When Paul was writing that letter, he said your attitude should be the same as Christ, though he was God. And you go back and look this up or write it down so you can look at it later. But it said, your attitude should be the same as God's. Because though he was God, he did not demand or cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. Took on the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And he, as a human, obediently humbled himself, even further, dying upon the cross, a criminal's death. Folks, that's the way our Lord bought our salvation humbled himself to die as a criminal upon that cross. And Paul says we are to do the same. Not equate ourselves with God, but humble ourselves. So, the, the doctrine Satan puts out there, that truth is relative. That, that you're never going to die. That, that you can be equal with God. And I want to throw at least one more out there. Is, oh, you know, you're, you're not responsible for your actions. You know, you're not responsible for, for what's transpiring here. And at verse 9 through 12, what happened there? Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and ultimately God. They start pointing fingers and blaming everybody else. The homosexual community says, God made me this way. I, I just can't help it. The Bible says we were all created in the image of God, but because of sin. That's what it says there in, 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 in the Scriptures. There is because of sin, this image was marred. When you look at Romans chapter 1, it wasn't that, that, that you were born this way. It's because of sin in your life. The judgment of God came upon us and, and that, that, that you have the judgment of the homosexuality. You have the judgment of the reprobate mind. These were judgments that was laid upon man because of their sin. Because of sin, we have this depraved nature. So in other words, because of sin, we are bent on, on going out and doing wrong. We are bent to that lifestyle of sin. We are given to sin. And therefore, we need to acknowledge that, own it, take responsibility for it, and then turn it over to Christ. But as long as we continue to blame everybody else, we're going to keep stepping back into that trap. You see, God 
God did not design us that way, but because of our sin, we've been marred with that nature. He gave us free will. He did not create us in any way, shape, or form wanting us to be sinful, but He gave us free will. And we have the right to choose sin or choose not to sin. Oh, but you don't understand, Pastor, I was made this way. I was made to, to not want to worry about bills or, or like money. It doesn't mean I'm going to choose to go rob a bank. It's my choice. I choose how I'm going to act on this. And I, got, I have to stand responsible for the choices I have made. But the world will say, oh, it's not your fault. You don't have to be responsible. Blame somebody else. Folks, we choose to believe or not believe. We choose to accept or we choose not to accept. But whatever choice we have made, we are personally responsible for it. People say, well, you don't understand. This situation, that situation... Okay, yes, there were some social conditions that that drove you to this, but bottom line, you chose how you acted. Bottom line, Eve chose to take of that fruit. Bottom line, Adam chose to eat of the fruit that his wife offered him. It was their choice, but it's so much easier to blame God than our own personal responsibility for our failures. It's so much easier to blame brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Folks, we have got to get back to understanding it. we take responsibility for choices we have made. But it's been that way ever since Adam and Eve. You know, the, the, there's the old story, and you may know the, the ending here, but it, God created the light, the heavens, the earth, and sun, the moon, the stars, the beasts of the the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and, the, and then he, and all the creeping things. Then he created man, and then he rested. But then he created woman, and man's never rested since. But that's man blaming women. Men want to blame women. Women want to blame men. Eve blames Satan. How many people have ever heard, well, you know, the devil made me do it. Blaming the devil now for your choices. Sure, he may have set it up. He set it up for Eve. But what if she had said, get thee behind me, for my God said, the truth is, I am not the touch of that tree. But she didn't. She chose, hmm, I could equate myself with God. I'll try that. And you notice, Adam, it says Adam was there. So Adam's like, I didn't stop her. She checked it out and... She looked all smart. I didn't want her to be smarter than me, so I took some of it too. It's her fault. No. You know what else I find amazing is when somebody does something wrong, you confront them about it, and they get mad at you like it's your fault. They get mad at you and say, well, well, why are you pointing this out? You're being intolerant. I get, get, uh, you know, this aggravates me when people say, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. The devil made me do it. You chose. You chose. Now, in one of our men's Bible studies a while back, I was pretty hard on that. I'm, I'm not saying I'm harder on men than women, but with men, I can just be very frank, very out up front, if you will. And I told them, it doesn't matter who made you mad, what she said, he said, or anybody else said, you chose to react this way. You chose to get angry. You chose to walk away. You cho- chose these things. I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent. Just own the fact that you chose how you acted. Guys, people, folks, ladies, 
We choose our actions. We should not blame it on other people. You choose whatever action you took, be responsible for it. I think it's time that every one of us would stop and be a little bit more responsible for ourselves and stop pointing fingers everywhere else. Sin came into this world, and rather than Eve and, 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 and Adam owning it, they hid in the garden instead, thinking, well, maybe God won't see us. They should have just owned it and stepped out there. These are only four doctrines that Satan puts out there. They're very prevalent in society today. These are four doctrines that I think I see Christians fall into often. We accept these things and, and, and as truth, and we just run with it. And Satan sits back saying, ha, I got another one. Even though God made sure they knew about it in the very first book of the Bible, reading about Adam and Eve, I got them again. He just keeps repeating the same old stuff, and we keep on going into it. We need to stop and realize to start telling people, truth is absolute. Truth is not relative. I am going to die one day. Am I spiritually ready for that? Am I ready to, to step out there? Am I going to take responsibility for my actions? These are things that we have to stop and ask ourselves. Now the world will say, well, you're being intolerant. You're being bigoted. You're a homophobe. You're a hypocrite. You're ignorant. You're unenlightened. And that's if you're with the nice people. The other people call you a whole lot worse than that. But at least you'll hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Folks, our sin has consequences. Our sin has actions that are tied to it. Our sin stands as a, a, a hurdle between us and God. The faster we own it, the faster we acknowledge it, the faster we turn it over to the Lord, the faster we get back to the truth that we need to be in. It was truth when Jesus said there, when John said in chapter 14 of Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last part of that, no man comes unto the Father but by me. So many people try to rationalize away the reading of this word. But no other man comes unto the Father but by me. But he said I, in the very first of John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. It was with God. This is God. Not this specific book, but the spirit of the book within it is Christ. And Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. All the teachings of the world are no more than what we just read in Genesis chapter 3. The ways of man. Being twisted by Satan. The faster we take responsibility. Well, you know, I kind of rationalize the way why it's okay to have this vice or that vice. I rationalize the way why it's okay to, to, to seek this divorce. I rationalize the way why it's okay to to go and do this, though I have this conviction. All you're really rationalizing away is your conviction. You're not changing truth. And the faster you acknowledge it for what it is, take responsibility for it, the sooner you'll quit doing the teachings of your enemy and get back into the line with your Heavenly Father. Last but not least... If you know Christ, great. Take it. Take these vices. Take these things to Christ. But if you don't know Christ, the world will tell you that you're not good enough. Why would a Why would a God care about you? Why would a God who 
spoke everything to existence, why would he care about you? Or if there is a God, why is there illness? Why is there this? Why is there that? He must have left and went a long ways off. And Satan will say these things, these questions, they'll get you thinking and put doubt at your feet, just like he did with Eve. Did God really say that? And that's when we have to go back to the absolute truth. And the truth was this, that Jesus said, no man comes unto the Father but by me, but whomsoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The truth is, it isn't about what you can do to, to get into heaven. It's what God's already done for you. And if you will stop this morning and realize, he said, if you believe with your mind, you profess with your mouth from your heart, that I am the Son of God, and that I rose again on the third day, that I was resurrected, then shall you be saved. That's truth. No matter how many people tell you, you have to jump through this hoop or you have to jump through that hoop. You got to do this or you got to do that. You got to clean this up or you got to clean that up. God loves you right where you're at. God cares for you right where you're at. Whatever that sin may be. Whatever it is that you're in the midst of, God loves you. But it doesn't change the truth of the Scriptures. He loves you enough He died for you. But if you choose not to accept Him, it doesn't change the truth. You will burn in a devil's hell. Now, I'm not trying to scare people, but the idea of people saying, well, there is no hell, there is no death. If God's a God of love, He won't really do those things. He loves you. In fact, he says in 1 Peter, I desire that none should perish. No, not one. But yet, because of your own choices, just as Eve chose that day, will decide where you spend your spiritual eternity. God does love you. Whatever lifestyle you're locked into, whatever vice you're locked into, God loves you enough to get you out of it. But you have to choose life. It's your choice this morning. What do you choose? Who do you choose? Do you choose Christ? Or do you choose the world? That's your decision this morning. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. If you'd like to stand this morning, I want to close with a word of prayer. But this altar will be open. Chris is going to be playing. If you want to come to this altar and pray, and you may say, God, I've rationalized away the sin in my life. I didn't take responsibility for it. Therefore, I continue to do it over and over and over. You could bring it to Him today. And He can wash you, cleanse you, and put you back on the pathway of righteousness. It's your choice. What do you choose this day? As Joshua says, for me and my house, I choose to serve the Lord. I pray that you will say that this day. What do you choose? Father God, I come before you this morning and I thank you for who you are and what you are and I just pray in the name of Jesus that you will guide our thoughts, guide our actions, guide our our hearts, Lord God, to accept responsibility, to quit falling for these doctrines that Satan's put forth. We're coming into a time of a celebration of your resurrection, Lord God. Help us to do so with a clear heart and a clear mind. Putting forth the, the sins that we've rationalized away, putting them into your hands, acknowledging them, accepting them, and allowing you to cleanse us of them. Father, prepare our hearts to be able to take your Lord's Supper in remembrance of you next week.
cleanse us of all our unrighteousness is what I pray, Lord. Open our hearts and our ears to who you are and what you are. If there's someone here today that has not accepted you, Father, may this be the day they choose life over death. God, may your will be done in this time of invitation. And may we say that it's been good to be in the house of our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this morning, if God's telling you to sing, sing. If you realize you've fallen into some of these doctrines of the evil one, Eve did as well. Think about it a second. Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden with God himself. They got to hang out with him. They saw him physically. At least the spirit felt the spirit move within the garden. And yet they still sinned. So don't think that you're beyond salvation. Just choose life and choose Christ. As we sing this morning, brother. Good seeing everybody this morning. I praise the Lord for each one of you. It's 6 o'clock this evening. We'll be in Joel chapter 3. If you want to come and be a part of that study tonight. Uh, also too, River of Life on 1604 is going to have the Team Impact people down there. I understand if folks want to go see them again. Uh, but, but guys, most of all, wherever you're at, lift up Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Good Praise the Lord. It's good seeing everybody this morning. Praise God for each one of you. Keep looking up and, and praise God for who you are in Jesus' name. Um, Julie, would you close us in prayer this morning? Amen. Remember vacation Bible school.